I know you're nervous. It's 11.31. I know that. Just be nervous. Don't look at your clock. Don't look at your watch or your telephone or your whatever. We're going to spend a few minutes in the Word. I'm not going to spend as much time here as I normally do, probably. (laughs) Big probably. But uh, we we do want to look at union with Christ and assurance. You know, as we think about Romans 8, And we're doing an exposition of just the 8th chapter of Romans in light of union with Christ. There are many, oh, by the way, before I get started there, happy Father's Day. Uh, My focus is so on prayer and, and praying for awakening today and praying that God will do a work in each of our lives and in our lives corporately that I just flat forgot about it. So happy Father's Day. If you're a father, now back to the sermon. Romans chapter 8 is so central to an understanding of the, of the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. It's so central to understanding the gospel in its, in its totality. I mean, it begins with that great affirmation, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, union in union with Christ. I mean, is there any, is there any greater affirmation in all of the scripture, Old or New Testament, that's any better than that? That ought to cause us any more to rejoice and praise God than the fact that if we are in Christ, there is, hear this, no condemnation, period, toward my life. Doesn't mean I don't sin, but it means my sin is covered by the blood of Christ that we've sung about and observed in the supper this morning that that God has worked a work in my life that is so great that even my sin cannot overcome his power. Even my sin cannot thwart his grace. Even my sin cannot make him say, Haynes, I've had it with you. I'm done with you. You're not worth it. There is therefore now for those who are in Christ Jesus no condemnation. And that's a shoutable statement because it's such a glorious thing. Then we saw that union with Christ brings the Holy Spirit. Union with Christ brings, uh, brings a, a new life and a new heart and a new way of thinking that changes our mind and how we think and how we see who we are and who the world is. It, it changes what we focus on. Being in union with Christ distracts us from the world and draws us toward Christ. Now we realize the world can sometimes still distract us from Christ, but if we're in Christ, our major desire ought to be focusing on Him, setting our minds, setting our hearts, setting our affections, setting our passions upon Him who gave Himself for us. Well, in in verses... 14 through 16, and we're going to read actually 12 through 17 to get a full context. We'll come back to 17 again next week. But, but in verses 14 through 16, the Apostle Paul is really responding to the question of the believers at Rome is, how do we know we're children of God? How do we know that we really belong to Him? What makes us a son or a daughter of God? What makes us 
a child of God. And Romans 14, uh, 8, 14 is very clear on that matter. It, it, it's, it's having the Spirit of God. It's being infilled and dwelling and dwelled by the Spirit of God. So hear the Word of God here as Paul answers this question for the Roman Christian. It says in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are not debtors. Excuse me. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now listen to this, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, are children, are a part of the family of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I'll give you a warning. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what he means by that, suffering with him. And uh, that's not always pleasant. Church in New Orleans is suffering with Christ this morning. They're suffering the pain of loved ones that were senselessly gunned down. They're suffering with Christ. And those who were gunned down suffered the ultimate suffering with him as they were killed at a time of prayer and Bible study. But Paul is very... Very desirous that we understand what it means to have the Spirit. That we understand what it means to have assurance because we have the Spirit. You see, Paul does not want these Roman Christians, nor does he want you Grace Baptist Christians, to be floundering about, wondering one day, do I belong to God? Wondering another day, am I lost? Wondering another day, is there any hope for me? He wants you to understand that there is assurance in union with Christ. There is an assurance of salvation. There's assurance of familyhood. There's an assurance of relationship for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul wants you to see. And I want you to understand this very brief passage that we're looking at. I want you to see, first of all, that he makes a statement, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, are the family of God, are the children of God. He's not just talking about those who seek God's direction on who to marry, what job to have, where to travel, what to, he's not, where to live. He's not talking about those who are led by the Spirit in specific ways. But it's those whose lifestyle is focused on knowing that the Spirit is present and the Spirit being active in your life. The Spirit bringing conviction. Probably the greatest leading of the Spirit in your life or my life is conviction of sin. Probably the greatest work the Spirit does in your life, and probably the thing, if you're like me, that keeps the Spirit most busy in your life on a consistent basis is convicting you of sin. Sure keeps Him busy in my life. And that's what Paul is saying here. I want you to understand that those who are led by the Spirit, those in whom the Spirit is active in their life, these are the children of God. And he draws out of that the Spirit, the imagery, if you will, the image of adoption. He says in verse 15, For you have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The, the image of adoption tells us that no one, anyone, 
at any time on the face of the earth other than Jesus was born into a relationship, a natural relationship with God. Nobody that's born into the world can say, well, I'm a son of God from birth. No, you're not. Now, I know we, we live in a day where there's a, a lot of discussion about, uh, you know, well, all human beings are God's children. You'll, you'll hear that by politicians all the time. Well, we're all God's children. That's not true. We're all God's creation. We're all God's creatures. But the Bible emphatically reserves all the richness of the term children of God only for those who receive Christ as Savior and Lord. The Bible is very clear, emphatically clear, that if you are not in Christ, then you are not in the family. You're not adopted. You're not a child of God. You're a creation of God, and, and that's well and good. You're created in the image of God, and that's well and good. But until there is a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no family relationship. Doesn't matter if you're American, white, black, yellow, red. Doesn't matter. You know, we, we used to sing the song. I sang it when I was in Bible school. You sang it. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. That is absolutely true. But they're not all by birth children until they enter that relationship with Christ. The, the image of adoption tells us that the relationship with God is based completely on, on a legal act, a, a legal move by the Father to adopt us, to receive us into his family. Some of you have adopted children. A child didn't have a right to be your child. A child didn't have a, a claim on you whereby they sent you a letter and said, I'm, I, I deserve to be in your family. They just didn't do that. You went and found them, and you've legally brought them into the family. That's what has happened in a very real sense in the adoption as children of God. And Paul wants us to see that and understand that with clarity. And then in this passage, and I just want to give you these quickly, but hear them because they're important. He talks about the privileges of sonship or daughtership. He talks about the privileges here, in, in, especially in verses 15 and 16, about the privileges of what it means to be in union with Christ and thus in the family of God, adopted into the family of God. There are four there I want you to see. The, the first one is security. In, in verse 15a, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery. Now, there are times where the Apostle Paul says, we are doulos of God. We are slaves of Christ. We are doulos. And, and there's a truth in that, that we are submitted to him in such an absolute way. But Paul is saying here, understand that the relationship that we're talking about is a family relationship. And he hasn't said, okay, I'll bring you into my family as a slave of my family. But you don't have any of the benefits of, of, of um, you don't have any benefits of being a child. Just be a slave. I'll feed you, give you a little shelter, and you do what I tell you, or I'll crack the whip, or I'll sell you to somebody else, or I'll kill you, or I'll throw you out, I'll fire you. That's, that brings a lot of fear. Throughout the Scripture, 
God tells us, as those who are in Christ, two simple words. Fear not. Don't be afraid. I've got to be honest with you. I, I live in a time that's pretty scary. I, we live in a culture that's pretty scary. Just random acts of violence. could happen through those doors at any minute. It could happen in your home, your place of business. There's no, there's no respecter of place anymore. It used to be the church was a sanctuary. You'd go and, and we call this a sanctuary, and you'd be, you felt safe here. Can't do that anymore in a human sort of way. But in Christ, we're to fear not. And while we live in a scary day, I don't fear that. Because I know who's in control, and I know nothing catches him by surprise. And, and Paul says here, you're not a slave. You don't have to worry about being cast out. You don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry about being fired. You don't have to worry about being killed. You don't have to fear. There's a security in that. We don't fear, but we enjoy sonship. We enjoy union with Christ. Even in the face of a culture that hates that and doesn't even want to acknowledge God, much less obey God. You don't obey God. Your, your debtorship is not because you feel like, oh, I'm a debtor, and if I don't fulfill my debt, then I'm, I'm lost. I'm cast out. You have a debt to grace to just live in light of that grace and share that with other people. That's what Paul's talking about in this passage. So we have security. We also have authority. Paul says in the second half of that, of that verse, you know, that, that we, are, we are, have sonship. There, there's, a, there's an authority that goes with being a son. And verse 16 even deals with that too. It, it says, you know, you, you, you're, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. We are in the, fa in the family. We've been given adoption. There's a certain authority. In a, in a house, the slave has no authority. They just do what they're told. But children can make choices. Children can lovingly follow their father. Children can have a desire to please him, not because they're afraid of him, but because they love him. There's a certain authority in that. We're not a slave, but we're a son. We're not something external to the family. We're a part of the family. So there's security. There's authority. And, and look at verse 15, the second half of that. There is an intimacy in this union. There's an intimacy there. He says, we've received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom... That is the spirit that has adopted us, the Father, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is an Arabic term, which is best translated, if we're going to do it into English, to daddy. It's a term of great intimacy. When, when you go home today, or when you call your father on Father's Day, do you typically say, Hello, Father. Or, hi, Father. No. Hey, Dad. Hey, Daddy. Hey, Papa. 
I mean, there's any number of endearing, intimate terms that we use. Father is an important term, and there's no, there's no lack of respect in talking to your earthly father by calling him daddy or father. And there's no, Paul is not saying here that all of a sudden you get so casual in that relationship, you just flippantly call him daddy or Abba. No, he's saying there is an intimacy there that we are to abide in. There's a closeness, there's a relationship. He's our father, but he's our father in a very intimate way. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my great heroes of the faith, who went to be with the Lord in 1981, said this in his commentary on Romans chapter 8. He said, Abba was a word lisp by a child. Let us notice the word cry. We cry, Abba, Father. It's a very strong word, and clearly the apostle has used it quite deliberately. It means a loud cry. It expresses deep emotion. What then does the term imply? Obviously, real knowledge of God. No longer is God a distant God, far off. He's not merely a God in whom we believe intellectually, theologically, theoretically, or doctrinally only. All this is possible to one who is, all this is possible to one who is not a child of God at all, that is to intellectually and doctrinally know him, theologically know him, theoretically know him. But our worship and praying is spontaneous. It is the spontaneity of a child who sees the father and runs to his open arms and says, Daddy, and embraces him. Not only a spontaneity, Lloyd-Jones says, but a confidence. A confidence that he won't say, Oh, you disappointed me today. I want nothing to do with you. You let me down today. You're not worthy to jump in my arms and call me Father or Daddy or Abba. No, we go with the confidence that even when we disappoint him, he is a forgiving Father. He is a loving Father. Not an excusing father. That's where, again, the Spirit brings about the work within us of, of repentance and confession. He, he works to call us to, to righteousness. He works to call us to seek forgiveness. Not for the washing away of the sin. That's already been done. But for the, for the strengthening of the relationship. So Paul says, you understand this. You've got security, you've got authority, you've got intimacy. And finally... You've got assurance. Fourthly. Verse 16, Paul says, the Spirit. Notice the big S, capital S. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Notice the lowercase s. The Spirit of God himself, the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Spirit indwells us when we are in union with Christ. Throughout this passage, Paul uses the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ interchangeably. It's the Spirit of the triune God, the Trinity, that dwells within us. It's the fullness of the Godhead 
dwelling in us. And he says that spirit that dwells within us bears witness, testifies to us. That we're children of God. Even when we sin. The Spirit testifies by convicting and then by saying, you're mine. The Spirit testifies by saying, that was sin, that was wrong, that was disobedience, that was a disappointment, that was, that was something you ought to avoid. And brings us to repentance and then says, oh my child, how I love you. Oh, I love you. The Spirit himself testifies, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs with God, fellow heirs with Christ. That means everything that is his is ours. We are, we are part of, we're, we're a child of the king. And then he says, but realize you're going to suffer. Suffering we will talk about later. Paul's desire here is that you see that there is, there is assurance when you are in union with Christ. There's assurance because His Spirit dwells within you. And there can be renewal and, and, and revitalization in your life, spiritually. There can be a, an awakening in your life all over again, spiritually. Because the Spirit dwells within you. Paul wants us to know that. Paul wants us to experience that. Paul wants us to live in accordance with that. Pray with me. Oh, precious Savior, help us. We are so slow to learn and so prone to forget and wander, so weak to climb the heights of the faith. Lord, we so often live and dwell in the foothills when we should be living on the heights of your truth. We are pained, Lord, by our graceless hearts toward others. We know your grace, and we don't share that grace. We don't extend that grace to others. Right, we, have, we have graceless hearts. We are pained by our prayerless days, our poverty of love, our laziness in the heavenly race, our stained conscience, our wasted hours, our unspent opportunities. Lord, we act as though we're blind while light shines all around us, the light of your word. Father, take the scales from our eyes. Grind to dust the evil heart of unbelief that so often besets us. Lord, make it our chiefest joy to study you, to meditate on you, to gaze on you. To sit like Mary at your feet, 
to lean like John on your breast, to appeal like Peter to your love, and to, like Paul, count all things as, of this world as dung, garbage, useless. Lord, give us increase and progress in grace so that there may be more decision in our character, more vigor in our purposes, more elevation in our life, more fervor in our devotion, and more constancy in our zeal. Lord, as we have position in the world, keep us from making the world our position. May we never seek in the creature what can only be found in the Creator. Lord, let not faith cease from seeking you until our faith vanishes and folds into sight face to face. Lord, ride forth in us. Show forth in us, O King of kings and Lord of lords, that we may live victoriously in this life and in victory attain our end when that time comes. Father God, grant our renewal and our awakening. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing.